coronavirus um, really upset things this year. Does anyone notice that? Uh, people talk about 2020 and they just go, yeah, like, it's, it can't be any worse in 2021, can it? Let's just get rid of 2020. I mean, New Year's Eve celebrations are going to be interesting this year. They're going to be pretty intense, albeit socially distance intense. Um, our sense of control has taken a massive hit this year uh, as humanity. Um, something came in that was outside of our control and it just uh, ran rampant. And that's difficult. Humans like to be in control. We like things to be under control. We like things to be consistent um, and, and not changing as much as they have this year. And some, some of us have benefited and prospered in the midst of all these things changing and others uh, less so. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that humanity has had their fingers pried off their materialism. Uh, money is less important than what it used to be. We've reassessed ourselves. We, we've all kind of moved to a place to some degree where things just aren't as certain anymore and we just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, our hold on life this year, I think, helpfully, has become a bit more tentative. Now... This is a good thing if it's directed in the right way. Um, in some ways, what coronavirus has done in 2020 is what James is talking about in the passage we're going to look at today. Uh, it's that kind of disruption, I think, that can be helpful. But we need to be careful, right? Because uh, the sense of being in control as a human uh, never lingers too far away. So now I know what I'm talking about. And just slip into it, and maybe we're even slipping into it a little bit in Queensland because things are under control with the virus. So let's let's read the text, hey? Uh, James chapter four, verse thirteen to seventeen. If you, if you got your Bibles there, uh, physical or uh, <laughs> digital, uh, we use uh, the ESV, the English Standard Version. James four thirteen to seventeen. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and we'll do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. All right, here's number one. You can do stuff. You can do stuff. Look at verse 13 there. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and try to make a profit. Stop for a moment and consider this. God's actually given you the power to do stuff. You go right back to the creation of humanity in Genesis chapter 1 and the word that describes or captures this idea that you've been given power to do stuff is dominion. You've been given dominion. You can walk around, you can do stuff, you can make money, you can go and have a holiday somewhere, you can go and live somewhere for 12 months if you want to go and live somewhere. You can trade and make a profit, you can provide for your family, you can work to bring things about. This has been the reality from the very beginning. In, the, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, what you actually have 
is you've got God exercising his dominion over the chaos of creation and he brings about good and he brings about order. And then at the end of it, he says, be many me. That's what he says. Here's humanity. He creates humanity. He says to them, uh, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Please, one-year-olds. What, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to get out and do stuff. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to get out and do stuff. And what does Adam get about doing? Well, his job is to work and keep the garden. And he gets about naming the animals, which is a very scientific thing, isn't it? You name the species. Adam and Eve are powerful and can do stuff. This ability to do stuff is part of the fabric of who we are. We are not like an electrical appliance where when you disconnect it from the plug, it doesn't do anything. The way that God made us is he made us to be connected to him and in connection with him to exercise dominion and to do stuff. Now we know, most of us would know the story that we get to chapter 3 of Genesis and humanity disconnects from God. But, and this is a really good thing, the dominion that God created humanity with doesn't disappear at that point. It's not like we turn into jelly or we're like one of those, you know those blow-up men out the front of, you know, you turn the fan off and they doesn't work like that because dominion and being able to do stuff is innate. It's part of us. God designed it to be part of who we are. So even in our disconnected state from God, we can go out and do things. And this is really good news. You know why? Because there are a lot of really good brain surgeons that don't know Jesus. True? There's a lot of really good plumbers that don't know Jesus. Who knows that not having dominion over your plumbing is a problem? (laughs) It is, right? It is. Uh, You want to have, or someone to have dominion over your plumbing. Now, I think Christians should probably be the best at their trade. They've got the best reasons at being the best, or to be the best at what they do. Now, unfortunately, they're not always the best. So, I think there's a good thing that goes on here. God's given humanity the, the ability to do stuff. When I grew up, it was always like there was this thing in our family, and I'm not criticising my parents, but there was this thing in our family, it's like, you always got to go to a Christian if, if you can. And uh, I just go, well, no. There's some really good people that God's given just wisdom to in their particular field. Go and get the best help that you can possibly get. Now, let me just go back. You, you are supposed to go into situations and bring about order in them. And one of the things that happens for humanity is that we have this way of going in and seeing a mess somewhere. It's either there's a, a problem with leadership and there's a mess or there's, uh, you walk into your kid's bedroom and the bedroom's a mess. You, you might even come into this church as a new person and you go, oh, that's a bit weak, that part of the church. And here's, here's what I want to say to you. If you walk in to something and you see that it's a bit of a mess and you're gifted in that particular area and you have the capacity to do something about it, 
welcome to your next job. That's how it works. Welcome to your next job. I mean, in all of my years in the church, and I've been in the church my whole life, one of the things that's been consistent is people often complain the most about the things that they're gifted in. And then they leave the church. They come in and they see something and they go, oh, that area of that church sucks. And it's like, well, you're actually really good at it. And it's like, no, because that's bad, I'm going to leave. It's like, that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, if, if, you are, if you are gifted in a particular area and you've got capacity to do something about it and you see something that's not right in any organisation, you should do something about that. That's your creation mandate to do something about it. Pull it into line. So point number one this morning, you can do stuff. And James acknowledges that. Here's the second one. We forget who we are. Pardon me for a moment. Just talk amongst yourselves. Can you tell a joke, a knock-knock joke to the person next to you? Okay, that's enough. Was it funny? Who, who actually, put your hand up if you had a knock-knock joke told to you. Oh, man, that's, that's like underwhelming. All right, number two, we forget who we are, verse 14 to 16. You can have a look at it in front of you. Now, there's probably some of you, when you read this passage um, you love spontaneity, right? This is today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not, do not know what tomorrow will bring. There are some of you today probably who you just go, I just, I love spontaneity. Jesus lives in spontaneity. He does not live in planning and I've been waiting for a long time because I'm married to someone who's a neat neck, right? And they like to nail everything down and spontaneity is the bomb, right? And finally there's a text about spontaneity. And the Bible, you can't plan the future. So just live it as it comes to you, all right? Now, I am, I'm with you a bit, right? Because I love spontaneity. That's where the zest of life is, isn't it? In my view. Um, and and if, you, if you talk to Jaden sometimes, tries to, now I'm not saying he's a neatnik, but where is he, by the way? I love you, brother. He, <laughs> he often tries to, know, he just goes, right, let's just, I probably really frustrate him. That's what I'm saying. He wants to nail down the sermon series. I'm just going, yeah, just, I just don't know what's happening in three weeks. You know, just don't want to lock it down too hard. Is that what James is saying here? Is James saying we just got to do spontaneity and not be planners? I mean, there's a lot of stuff about planning and organisation in the book of Proverbs. No, it's not what James is saying at all. What James is actually saying is that people forget who they are. They forget that they're dependent upon God. Now, if you just, that statement on the screen there, if you just write it in like a sharpie on your forehead, that would be, you probably need to get someone else to do it because you'd have to, it'd be hard in the, in the mirror because then it'd be backwards. But um, r- like write it on your forehead. Like you, you just, you regularly, I mean Paul Tripp calls it identity amnesia. You just regularly forget who you are. Uh, that's us. Um, and and here's, here's the thing. Um, what James is saying here is that forgetting that we have 
that, that comes our way, um, is, it's not kind of just this innocent mistake. It's, um, it's that we think that we have control. It's that we think that we can determine the future. That's what he's saying here. He's going, he doesn't have a problem with planning or organisation. He's just going, are you serious? Like you think that you're just going to go and do whatever you want to do tomorrow and it's just going to happen? Like who are you? You've forgotten who you are. You're just not that person. No human is actually that person. And it's not merely forgetting about God. It's much more kind of sinister than that. We, we actually think we can get it done. That's what we think. And when you forget about being actively dependent upon God, that's what you're thinking. It's like, I'll be okay. It's the bat phone, right? Prayer's the bat phone. It's like, God, seriously. Uh, I hear that there's some really nice places you can chill out and just hang out. I'll be sure to be on the phone as soon as I need a hand. See, that, that's the kind of thing that James is saying is uh, massively problematic. Have you ever done this? Have you ever had a moment where you just go, I think I've got this one? <laughs> I have done this a hundred times and I'm wise and I, I think if I need a hand, I'll let someone, including God, know. <laughs> here's, here's what I want to say to you this morning. For humans... Operating independently or autonomously is a malfunction. Always. It's a malfunction. In contrast, if you want to be a true human, you'll operate dependently. Always. Now, some of you might go, Peter, you're just, you're just getting a bit heavy on it, right? Like, this is just a bit, it's a bit intense. I'm not sure, I, serious, I just forgot. That's all. That's all it was. I just forgot to include him. I forgot to talk to him. Um, now, you might say that to me, and I'd just, I would say to you, oh, tell me how that's going to go between a husband and a wife. Right? I'm sorry, honey, I forgot about you all day long. <laughs> Do you think that's going to go well? Yeah, it's like get your pillow and your doona and you're living in the shed for the next three weeks, right? It's, why? Because forgetting is actually personal. You know, we're talking about the God, um, as Acts 17 says, it's, it's the one in him we live and we move and we have our being. In Colossians 1.17, he is the one in, him, in whom all things hold together. Imagine a married couple, Right? And we won't, we won't go with, a, with one gender or the other. So, uh, and and one, of this, one of the partners or the spouse, male or female, has got a really, really difficult day coming up at work. Really hard day coming up. There's like three really difficult meetings that could really go awry. There's a painful situation that their spouse needs to walk through. In the morning, they have a conversation about it. And at the end of the day, the other spouse doesn't even ask about it. Uncomfortable silence. <laughs> Uncomfortable silence. The, the spouse 
that went through the hard days starting to fume a bit about it. And eventually they say this, aren't you even going to ask about what happened today? And the other spouse says, oh, I got so busy trying to seal a deal which, which would earn us some more money that I completely forgot about you. Is that okay? Do you think that relationship is, is okay at that point? It's not okay. You know, what, what that spouse member did by forgetting said something about the relationship. It was personal. And let's be honest, um, most of us have been in this kind of situation ourselves. We've had a brother or sister going through a really hard time, something really difficult that was going to be happening to them on a particular day. We said we'd pray about it and we never did. And they came back to us and what did they say? Thanks for praying for me. He just go, ah, oh. yeah, no worries, mate. Have you ever had that one? Have you ever had that conversation? It says something about where our mind is and our heart is. We're too busy doing what we want when we want it. How much more so with God himself? And it can have serious consequences. And I say to you this morning that if getting God in the midst of life and what we do is not a mistake or an accident, it's high-handed. Um, High-handedness is when we act in ways that don't take into account uh, other people and what they want and what's good for them. Let me give you a couple of examples, a couple of quick, quick case studies about where I think this can play out really significantly. I, uh, I read this one a little while ago. We had a bit of a chat about it in staff devotions, but there's this um, a classic story in Joshua 9. So the people of Israel have come out of Egypt, have gone to the Promised Land, um, they, they tanked at the, at the worst possible time. Two people said we could do it. Ten said, no, we can't do it. So then they have to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. They come back for the second crack. Moses dies, gets to look at the promised land, doesn't get to go in. Um, Joshua gets endorsed and commissioned to go in and to lead the, lead the pack, to be some kind of an army kind of commander, to go in and conquer the promised land. They go in, they have a bunch of victories, they have... Um, Jericho happens, there's a little bit of sin along the way but that kind of gets dealt with things seem to be going pretty well it's God's man, he had a 40 year apprenticeship with Moses uh, and they're in there and what happens is these people called the Gibeonites are actually really close to the Israelites geographically and they're packing it, right? and they're going, we're going to get done we're going to get smoked here by these guys so what are we going to do about it? what we need to do is we need to make a treaty with them but they knew that if they went to them and, and the Israelites knew where they were from and they knew they were close, they wouldn't have got the treaty, right? So what they did is they, they got dressed up. It was just a classic Hollywood stitch-up, right? They got all dressed up. They, uh, they, got, they left the bread out on the counter for like two weeks, right? Literally, like they took some old-style bread. They took wineskins that were all cracked. It was, the whole thing was a stitch-up, right? So they show up to the, uh, to the Israelites and they're going, look, we're from a long way away. They said some really flattering things about, that, about God. They said... We, we know that your God's just, he's just, he's awesome and we're fearful of him and we just want to serve you and all this sort of stuff, right? Now, I think one of the weirdest things in the story, if you read, it's in Joshua 9, it's worth a read, is they taste some of their food. It's like, who's doing that, right? It's, it's like, would you do that? 
I mean, my kids leave bread on the bench for like a day and I'm just, that's going to the chooks, right? That's where that's going. But they've just got this old, and they're having a taste of it. And there's this statement that gets made in, uh, in Joshua chapter 9, which is like a punch in the guts. In verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. So, bam. Well, God's man, Joshua, doing God's work. Everyone knew it. Having God's victories. You could imagine it, couldn't you? Like they're all sitting around and they're going, yeah, no, this is really bad bread. Look at their wineskins. Barry, you can have that one. All right, have a taste of that. Let us know what it's like. Sorry, I didn't mean you, Barry, directly, but it's kind of pointed in this direction. He's a nice guy. He introduced himself to Barry. You see what's happening? Like, you can, you can see what's happening in this context. It's like they're all, I reckon they all, they all kind of had a bit of a meeting and they're just going, yeah, we're on this. We'll make a call. And what do they do? They make a treaty with them. And then they find out afterwards they're really close, geographically. What did they get wrong? They didn't talk to God about it. So they got wrong. Maybe, probably, God would have just gone, run like the house is on fire from making a treaty. Case study one. Case study two is not from the Bible. It's actually something that we do reasonably regularly, and I think this stuff from James, that James is talking about can kind of sneak in with it, and it's this. It's hindsight. Now, you probably heard this phrase, hindsight is the perfect science. I used to believe this, and now I think it's just a heap of rubbish. I think you can learn things from hindsight, but the idea that hindsight is the perfect science is just a heap of rubbish. And this idea struck me um, when I was reading a book, and I would encourage everyone to read it. Read uh, Creativity, Inc. by Ed Catmull. And uh, Ed Catmull was a co-founder of Pixar Animation Studios. And he's got a chapter where he talks about hindsight and how dangerous hindsight is and when I read it I just went 100% it is you know why because you only see a small number of the actual variables that are happening in any situation he says there are almost countless other variables that came into play in every single situation and when you look back on something in hindsight you can learn things I'm not saying that you can't learn things but you just kind of go That plus that plus that plus that equals that. Or that plus that plus that, and if we did this, it would equal that. And his point really was that in hindsight, we can get arrogant about it and think that if you just put in the right ingredients, it'll be all right. And I I would say to you, kind of in the words of Ed Catmull, what ingredients? How many ingredients? Like, honestly, if you were to have a close look at every situation that you're in and the sheer volume of variables, it might be a bit dizzying if you honestly looked at it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Now, he wasn't coming at it from a Christian point of view, but I thought he captured something. Um, Most of what happens to you and most of your context is actually outside of your control. That's the first time that you've heard that. My apologies. But it is. Most of what happens to you is outside of your control. Yeah, I mean, Jesus said you can't even add an hour onto your life. 
Here's, here's the good thing. Right? This is what Ed Catmull doesn't grapple with. Um, once you bring God into the equation, the very presence of God changes everything. Doesn't it? Changes everything. God, there is no more influential variable you can add to any situation. You with me? It just isn't. So you're in the wilderness and someone tells you you're going to have meat tomorrow. Yeah, right. You're in a boat on the sea and someone tells you to walk out across the water to them and you go, yeah, right. Like that's going to happen. You are literally being executed and you remember someone saying it will work out for good and you go, yeah, right. An axe head sinks to the bottom of a lake and someone says they're going to make it float. Yeah, right. You are facing overwhelming odds and someone says you will win. When God enters a room, every option is on the table. He's the key player in everything. He's the one behind everything, bringing it all together. Hindsight is dodgy because it leads us to think that what we're doing is the most important thing going on. It's not. And I want you to hear me say this. Success is misleading because it makes you think that what you're doing is the main thing that's going on. Hear this. Failure is deceptive because it makes you think that what you're doing is the main thing that's going on. The most important thing that is going on is not what you're doing. It's just not. The most important thing about what is going on is what God is doing, not what you're doing. And that's really good news. It's really good news. The scary thing is how subtle the switch can be where we flip over to self-confidence. So we need to be reminded about who we are and who God is. That's what James actually does for us. In our self-confidence and our arrogance, we forget him. Who is he? He's the Lord of all. What are we, on the other hand? Well, a mist. It's like, I don't know. If you came to church today and said, I'll come to the project. And uh, at the project today, I'll expect to get a good self-esteem boost. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, maybe, maybe next week. But isn't this, isn't this the truth? Like, we need to hear it. We need to, you know, I think that's what James is saying. We get in the wrong place. We get out of place. And it's not actually good for us or anyone else or God. Um, We're a mist. Um, We just just speak directly to you for a minute. Um, You're not going to get that long. You're not going to get that long. Um, average life expectancy in Australia is 80.7 for males and 84.9 for females. That's not that long. You know, yeah. Who, who knows here? Like the older people here that when you're, when you're young, you just think, I'm just going to live forever. And, and then you're just going, okay, well, I'm 47 and I've probably got maybe a couple of good decades, perhaps, left in me. 
maybe more. It's, it's, it's going to be over soon. Don't get that long. It's the old saying, it's like you're, I'm over the hill and I'm sliding down the other side. You know, doesn't, it, it's, I mean, this is a weird thing to say. I mean, I heard old people saying it when I was young and I'm just going, that's just an old person thing, but I don't know, it's actually a person thing. It's like, the older you get, the quicker life seems to go. The quicker it seems to disappear. You know, I think it's because um, a year, I've, I've often thought this, a, a calendar year becomes a smaller and smaller proportion of your entire life. And so it just feels quicker. You know, we're in springtime. Like it was only 12 months ago, it was spring. And we've just been through four seasons. It's like, what? What did I do? Do I, is it a blur? Do I remember what's happened in the last 12 months? Am I, and this is one of the cool things, I think, coming out of coronavirus is people are asking the question, am I really doing the thing that I should be doing? You know, I read a, uh, an ABC News article saying that I think it was something like 30% of people are career-changing at the moment. You know, like that, that is a massive amount. People are going back to uni. Why are they doing it? Well, they've worked out that you just don't get that long. And they've also worked out that they're doing a whole bunch of stuff they just don't want to be doing. It's not central to, uh, to who they are. Folks, we... We are not that great. We're just not. We, we can't lift much, right? I struggle just to get my body out of a recliner chair sometimes. It's like, that was... And it's just nice, right? And I'm just relaxed. It's like, oh, was it really back that far? We can't lift much. We aren't that smart. Even the smartest among us are not that smart. We don't live that long. We don't control how we live. We don't control how much money we make. You know, there's some things that we can do, but we don't control how it comes out. My, uh, my dad had this saying about humans, and it, he, um, he used to say, uh, he couldn't blow the hair off a peanut. Like a peanut shell because it's a bit kind of hairy on the outside. outside. Have, you, have you seen one? That's what he used to say, he goes, you couldn't blow the hair off a peanut. Which, I, that's kind of a paraphrase of James. <laughs> Isn't it? You couldn't blow the hair off a peanut. We're just going, yep, yep, yeah, we couldn't. We, uh, we were not made to be great. We were made to be connected to someone great. That's... That's one of the things I think James is saying. You're just not that great. And just, I don't know, you could just relax in that. You know, someone could come up to me at the end and go, Pete, that just wasn't that great. Just go, that, that's, I mean, that'd be disappointing, but that's okay because Pete's just going to do stuff that's not that great. Don't expect me to be like the great one. Too much. I mean, I try to imitate him, but don't expect me to be like the great one too much. Because don't, don't look to me in ways that you should be looking to him. Did, you with me? I just want to say that to you. Don't, don't do that because I guarantee 100% you'll be disappointed. Number three. 
if the Lord wills. What does James say? If the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the ultimate caveat on everything that you do, isn't it? Uh, it was a saying that I heard lots. My dad, uh, religiously, and I say that in a positive way, he religiously would add at the end of everything that he said he was going to do, God willing. God willing. And I think he meant it. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all need to start saying God willing at the end of everything that we say we're going to do. It's like there's a coffee van out there and God willing, I'm going to get a coffee. All right? We, uh, it's like God better be willing because I need that sucker. You know, you could. You could say that sometimes, but I think what James is talking about is not necessarily that it becomes part of your, your sayings or your rhetoric, but it actually becomes part of the way that you do life. And sayings can help you to remember what's true. So it might be helpful to you to say it every now and then. Um, but I think that we should all say everything in the light of it. Now go to uh, verse 17. It's where I want to finish today. Uh, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Um, it's such a, a wise saying at the end there. And uh, you can look at it and you can kind of go, that, that's just a bit random. It's like he's, James has slotted in just a beautiful, punchy little kind of proverb, piece of wisdom. This is one that parents should be talking about with their kids, right? All we're talking about here is that sin is not just about commission. It's not, about, not just about the things that you do. It's also omission. So it's about the things that you don't do. So if there's something that you should be doing that you're not doing, that's as much of a sin as you going and doing something evil. Really important that we have those categories in our heads. And I think sometimes it gets overlooked. Not doing a good thing is as evil as doing a bad thing. That's what James is saying here. If you have the opportunity to love someone and you don't or to care for someone and you don't, or to lovingly steer someone back in the right direction and you don't, or you have an opportunity to be generous and you don't, that's as much a sin as lying to someone. That's what James is saying. Listen to this uh, brilliant proverb from uh, Proverbs 3, 27 to 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbour, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it, when you have it with you. That's what James is talking about. If you've got, if there's something good that you can do, jump in and do it. But go back to the very first word of that verse. Can someone shout out for me what the first word is? Out of the ESV. So. Now that word alone tells you that James is not throwing a random proverb in. He's going back and he's saying, because of what I've just said, (laughs) this is what I'm saying now. It's kind of a therefore. What is the sin of omission that I think James is referring to here? Joyful dependence upon God. That's what it is. You see, the, you go right back to the passage this morning. These people are going and they're doing things. None of the things that these people are doing are bad. They're going to live somewhere for a while. They're going to make a profit somewhere. They're going to work somewhere. There's no problem with any of that. What's the issue for James with these people? They don't have a sin of commission, they've got a sin of omission, of joyfully depending 
upon God. There's something that they are not doing which they need to do and that's depending upon God. So you should just be happy doing that. Why should we be joyfully dependent? And here's where I want to finish. Maybe the music team can come up. The reason why you should be joyfully dependent upon God is because the Lord wills. He wills good things. Let me tell you, it is a global kind of statement. He wills to give you every single thing that you need. Every single thing. Your circumstances could be up for grabs and he may not give you what you want in terms of your circumstances. But I want to say to you this morning, there are a lot of things that are surefire certainty from God. He wills these things. And you might be praying about some kind of situation in your life and just going, it's not rolling the way that I want it to roll. And I just go, well, I don't know how it's going to go. If the Lord wills, it'll go this way or that. But there are things that the Lord wills that you know are 100% certainties. You want to hear some? He is willing to hear you talk to him about everything. Everything. Absolutely everything. Psalm 62, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So you don't go to God and just go, I don't know whether he's willing to listen. Yes. Yes. Here's something else. God is willing to leverage his supernatural power on your behalf. Did you hear me? He is willing to leverage his supernatural power on your behalf. James 5 verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Got another one? Okay, well we'll just have a chat, have a coffee. Do you want another one? Come on. God is willing for you to ask him for whatever you think you need. For whatever you think you need. And I want to say to you, this is, this is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. That's a bit at the end where it talks about um, how God's a good dad. Uh, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What is the job of a child? The job of a child is to ask for what they need. What's the job of a father? To give them what they need. So you don't, like if one of my kids came, if I, one of my kids are sitting in the corner of a room and they're just kind of, I could see they're reflecting and meditating and, and I go over to them and I say, what are you doing? Right? Because my, I've got four boys, right? So they don't meditate or reflect very much. Okay? It's usually just hit things and run fast and get on motorbikes and, and you know if they said to me, oh, I'm just sitting down here and working out what I need and what I should ask you for. Just go, oh, listen, don't be a doofus, right? Like, just, can you just come and ask me? Because you're actually taking on a job that's my job. I probably wouldn't call him a doofus. But you get what I'm saying? It's not a child's job ultimately to work out what they need. It's a parent's job to do that. And so you shouldn't hesitate in going and asking God for what you think you need. Now, you won't always get what you... Th- think you need because what you think you need is not always what you think you need but you'll get what you need there you go I'm going to give you a few more just because you're so excited about it alright God is willing 
to act on your behalf and support you. You believe that? 2 Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord, some of you need to hear this today, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Right now, he is looking for people across this planet. He's looking for people in this room whose hearts are for him so that he can do what? Support them and help them. Here's another one. He is willing to come close to you so you can enjoy the sweetness of communion with him. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I could keep going. There are so many things that God is willing. Your circumstances are up to him, but there's so many things that are 100%. Can I have this? Yes. Can I have you closer? Yes. Can I have your support? Yes. You don't have to worry that he's going to give you an answer that's different in so many areas. I remember uh, when one of my sons was young, um, I used to teach the kids how to start the mower, right? And... um, I'd tell them how to do it safely and like you'd go through the process with them. But they just, they couldn't kind of get past the compression on the cylinder, right? They'd get in there and have a good pull and they want to have a go on their own. But they just uh, couldn't do it. Uh, just weren't strong enough to give it a good kick. Um, so I remember this particular day, I went up to um, one of my sons who had, had a crack and it's like, yeah, man, you're on a hiding to nothing. There's no way you're going to be able to start that thing. And um, I leant over behind him and he grabbed the starter cord and I put my hand over the top of his hand and pulled on the starter cord. You know what happened? It started. Do you know what he did? He ran off and told his brothers he started the mower. <laughs> what did he? He did. He did. It's kind of yes and no. Right? Yes in the sense that he did start it, but no in the sense that he didn't do it on his own. We did it together. And this is the way that power is meant to work for humanity. That's how it's meant to work. And do you know something? I didn't go and correct my son for telling his brothers he started the mower. You know why? Because he knew that I helped him. He knew, and he knew he couldn't do it on his own. And I don't think that God's a neatnik that goes running around after us wanting to correct every little thing that we do. But we do need to make sure that we recognise that he's, he's the one with us, helping us, and we do things together. You should do all of life like that. A regular prayer of mine before I get up and preach on Sunday morning, I've never told you this before, is uh, I just say, can we do this together? You should do all of your life like that.